I'll be the first to say that part of my life has been defined by being first generation. It's part of what makes me a cross-cultural kid and very much has influenced how I see and engage with the world. And while I know that my experiences have an American tinted lens, I've always had a general curiosity about other first generationers, especially those whose parents left their home of origin to move for opportunities in the West. This is why Ronke Lowell is this week's guest. Ronke is the founder and lead at Ariatu Public Relations, a London-based PR firm with a particular emphasis on reaching the African and Caribbean diaspora audiences. Not only does she have a sweet spot for amplifying black and brown voices in the media, she's also keen about having conversations around race, ethnicity, and class, and the nuances that come with it. Ronke and I spend a significant amount of time discussing our own first-gen experiences, especially how to define your identity within a British or American context. We also talk about the cost of assimilation for the working class, why corporate brands often fail at messaging when it comes to social justice, and her own experiences studying abroad in the U.S. I first connected with her years ago on social media, and honestly, I've been learning and laughing ever since. Welcome to The Chatter. So as you're talking about movement and we're talking about freedom of movement, you are, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you di- how do you identify? Are you British, Nigerian, Nigerian, British, first gen, second gen? What's, I know, these are these loaded, how do you identify? So before I, I throw it there, what do you call yourself? I love this question because I, I've always said I am both uh, British, Nigerian, uh, uh, Black, British, or Nigerian, British, whichever order you want to call it. I am all of the above. Um, so, yeah, I mean, primarily I'd say British Nigerian, whichever order, because some people might say, well, why have you put the British first? Well, okay. Right. Of course. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm very rooted and very much aware that I am Ni- I'm a Nigerian born in Britain. And I know some people mm. won't like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that, I'm, that are missing from my identity, right? So my ability, for example, to speak Yoruba, my, my, my ethnic group uh, from my parents' ethnic group and my ethnic group is Yoruba, right? My ability to speak mm-hmm. it has been, has been uh, is, is limited. Um, partly, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who studies colonial history will know there's partly a reason why. It's, it's not unusual to find um, a whole generation like myself where the parents focus more on speaking English than teaching us our native tongue. So though I, though I speak and understand it, it's not as, not as good as it, or, or it could be. And so that causes a bit mm-hmm. of a disadvantage and that causes also people to think that, oh no, you are just definitely British. But I, I, I'm very much, very much rooted in being Nigerian. Being Nigerian and I'm Nigerian because... You, you, I, I can't just, it's a spiritual thing. I can't not, it is not a choice. I don't have a choice. I can't, it's not mm-hmm. even about race, right? It's, you know, it is about, well, it is, but it's not in the same, at the same vein. It's, it is who I am. Like, I can't remove myself from being Nigerian. In much in the same way, 
as I can't remove myself from being British because I was born mm. and raised in Britain, mm -hmm. in England. So I can't remove that part of my identity. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. I can complain about England till the cows come home, but I, there is a reason I was planted here. I always say, um, and, and I'm a believer in God's plan. So there's always a reason for things. So there's a reason mm -hmm. I was planted here. So if I were to say, oh, dismiss that part of me, I kind of feel that's a bit mm -hmm. of an insult to the plan of my purpose. <laughs> Getting deep now. No. <laughs> well, and so I, I would love you to walk me through this. Your, um, because I think there's some similarities in, in our, our mutual stories. I'm first generation American, mm -hmm. right? So so my my family came from Cameroon, so your neighbors oh, yeah, to the yeah. east. And um, so I'm curious. So when did when did your parents come over, and kind of what was the motivation for them if they came straight from Nigeria yeah. or somewhere else to come to the UK? It's a beautiful question, and I love talking about this question probably because my mum in particular talks about it a lot. <laughs> so we just right. see it, see it, see it, see it and she's just talking about it a lot. But anyway, um, so my parents came to Europe in the late 70s. Their first mm -hmm. destination or location or point of landing was Belgium. So I could mm. have been born <laughs> in Belgium. Yeah. So that was their That's first right. point of entry um, into that experience. I, I think at that time there were a lot of opportunities in certain parts of in certain parts of Europe, right? So Belgium mm -hmm. was one of those areas, and it was it was a it was a gateway before coming to the UK. So you'd think actually it could have come to the UK first, but for some reason I think there were opportunities for them there. Um, my parents came, that's the age of story. They came because they thought there were, there were more opportunities. I, interestingly enough, more so from my dad's side and my mum's side. My mum actually had better opportunities in Nigeria. So she came mm. from a, um, so it's, how do we, how do we define class? So a borderline, um, a kind of middle class, but lower, lower middle class, working class, middle class, um, background. I won't, I won't say it was, 100% working class because there was elements of middle class in her family right but she she, she had a really good opportunity in Nigeria and then she um, <laughs> fell in love at the time <laughs> with my dad and dad was like let's go and start a new life in Europe so he took her to, to Belgium and she says and verbatim like quote unquote it was one of the most uh, uh, terrible experience she said she said she learned a lot so she doesn't regret what she learned she learned about humans she learned a lot <laughs> but she said there was like the racism that she experienced in Belgium was just the most she just it was just yeah it was just terrible like honestly so then they mm -hmm. moved to the UK and they gave birth they had me um, and around that time there was a it was a great diasporan connection so there's a lot of like Nigerians mm -hmm. or Anglophone West Africans as mm -hmm. well and the Caribbean community so they mm -hmm. built their own little community and hub but we what we were planted as working class in this in this country. Um, so mm -hmm. in the UK, we, we we were working class. So I'm the first generation, um, and we it was it was tough actually. It was tough. I can't I'm, I can't say anything more than that. It was really hard. And my my parents are, are, are quite radical thinkers in the sense mm -hmm. that they they spoke very honestly about um, race, colonialism, imperialism. Um, they spoke about the world in gen at large 
there were limitations, you know, my dad, my dad, he was studying, he thought, you know, by studying and getting mm-hmm. his um, education in Europe, it offered him more opportunities. So hence starting in Belgium and finishing in London. Um, but the way the world works, I don't think I've ever said this on, on any platform before, but I'm, I'm going to say this now, no, but I'm going to say this now. I think, and he, he, he knows this as well. I think the, the 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 institutional structural racism and the colonial structures of this world kind of robbed him partly of his dream because he was a very mm. he was a very ambitious man and he you know he did he did okay but actually I think the way in which the this country can sometimes suck the life out of you especially if you're a, you know you're from a work you're working classes. It's 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 harder than just simply saying we're going to work hard, right? You can you can work hard, mm-hmm. but you, you get tired at the end of the day, right? And I think this country yeah. did a did, it, it's, it robbed him of his dreams. Let me just <laughs> let me mm. say that it robbed him of his dreams. Yeah, yeah, I've never said that before. <laughs> you know what? And I I think I, I feel like I've had this maybe this conversation with someone else, but I don't think we often talk about. And I'm saying specifically those of us who are of African descent, but I think this could actually apply to a whole lot of different immigrant groups. We don't talk about what families left behind and what they gave up for this. Right. Mm. I mean, I I imagine, you know, I have somewhat of a similar story where my parents came in the mid 70s to the United States and you give up not knowing anyone or having that one or two or maybe three relatives in a spot, you give up what you've known, you've given up a way that you've done things and you've given up where you are now a minority, at least physically. Mm. Right. Mm. Like I, I, because I, I find when I talk about the black expat, I, I, and I am talking about people moving to places or whatever. And I go, you know, for me, it was interesting born in a country where you're a minority, moving to a country where you're in the majority, coming back to a country where you're a minority, that that's a whole nother conversation. But like, to be in a place where everybody looks like you mm-hmm. on, at least on the outside and then going to a place. And then in, in the cases of our parents, going to the places that colonized right. the place you had to leave <laughs> because they colonized right. it. And, and in some cases didn't always leave it better. Right. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, it. it, it's like a weird abusive relationship. Yes. I mean, that's just, that's just me. Like, <laughs> It's this dysfunctional. I say it all the time. But it's the weird dysfunctional relationship with these with, with, with these countries that we find ourselves in. But at the same time, it's like you rightly said, like our countries of origin aren't necessarily they've not been left in a in a in a, in a better in a better, in a good way, unless you have the privileges of you know wealth or class, which I guess we can talk about. But yeah, it's yeah, it's incredible. Well, then I bring it then I bring it full circle to what you said earlier in the sense that. Okay, now you get mad <laughs> that these people want to come to your country, but you went to their country mm. first. Talked about how great your country mm. was and how it was the mothership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then now get mad mm-hmm. because after years and decades and centuries of saying all, you know, you're part of, you're part of the British Empire. You're mm-hmm. part of the French mm-hmm. Empire. You're part of the Belgian mm-hmm. Empire. Well, I don't even know if the Belgians even said that. No, they, they just, just don't. <laughs> 
I'm trying. Look, girl, I started. <laughs> pause. I started reading <laughs> the history. I forgot what book it was. And I said, nah, y'all ain't gonna catch me today because wow. I'm trying to keep what's left of my sanity because wow. I was so mad. Like, I spent way too much time reading about colonial history and events, and I was so frustrated mm. and mad. Mm. And so, you know, that's why when I think about what our parents gave up mm-hmm. and then and then what they have to deal mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. to even get some sort of mm-hmm. dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's because here's the thing. I think we're we're probably amongst the first second maybe third generation mm-hmm. of because I think African African movement on mass mm-hmm. in a lot of ways is a little bit more recent than other mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. You know, I mean, I don't know for the UK, would you say, well, I don't know. I, what, what, I, how does it look in I'd the UK? Cause say, it might be a little bit different. No, I'd say we had the, there were, you know, there's always, cause I think people have to remember there's always exceptions to the rule. There were always, um, <laughs> So, so, so during the colonial peak or when things were quote unquote good, I'm always saying, I'm always careful of word right. language. You can tell I'm a right. communicator. When things were good in the colonial empires, they would allow. <laughs> the, I was like, that ad, that's like such a long add on. It's like in parentheses, in the colonial times, that didn't have anything to do with us. Right. But carry on. So, so in, in sort of, I'm going to speak from the Anglophone perspective. So, in the Anglo, when, when right. the British empires, they would allow or they would encourage, you know, scholars, academics, mm-hmm. um, thinkers to study. So that you'd find um, the middle and upper middle classes would actually, in from the, I think even as early as the 40s, I could be wrong, after the war, let's just say after the war, actually, um, they yeah. could go to university, private schools, universities, they, they had properties, but these were the very up there well-to-do, or up, wherever they were, the, they were either the elites or the upper middle classes, right? Now, mm-hmm. when it comes to um, the, the the working class or the working um, the working classes, I'd say on mass from specifically Nigeria, more the eighties. So around the time that my parents mm-hmm. landed in the UK, more the eighties was the working class kind of coming. Um, they, they it was slightly. I don't even know, I don't I don't want to call it slightly. It was slightly easier, but it's not. It wasn't easy. But there, there were different rules right in place in terms of if you give birth to a child in the UK, what that would do to your citizenship mm-hmm. and stuff. The, the Caribbean population again, you've had a wind so that was slightly different mm-hmm. as well. But the thing about this, and this is this is why it comes. Conversations like this are so fascinating, and people forget the, the levels and layers of nuance, and why the mm-hmm. empire works so well, and why I keep reference, referencing class is a reason, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, by allowing the elites um, of our nations to move freely and um, to study in the, the best universities in, the, in, in in Europe and in the UK, to um, to, to buy properties because there's, there's generations who have properties in Mayfair, but the elites are Nigerians, right? Mm-hmm. But by allowing it, what you're doing is you're maintaining that imperial that imperial stronghold. So for, for whatever reason, if when you decide to leave or you have to leave, the empire will still be strong in Nigeria, mm. right? Because you still have the elites and we see it to this day. You still mm. have the structure, mm-hmm. the structural forces, the influence of the empire still very much exists. Because if you look at the facts, if you call it, if you look at the facts of what, of the, of the country that has been created, which is Nigeria, you see how the empire has influenced that country and how elitism and classism 
has influenced everything. And that includes the movement. You know, when we talk about mm. why the working class population moved in the 80s, I mean, if you look at it, like, there was nothing, things weren't, it was only a subset of Nigerians that were doing quite well at one point during colonial. When, it, when, mm-hmm. when we when we got our independence, there was still some, you know, there was it was it was doing okay. But by the eighties, seventies, there's a vast majority of the population who had degrees, you know, educated, but they weren't getting the kinds of jobs that actually you should be getting. Like you know, at least in this, I hate to say it, at least. If you look at it, if, if it's a, if the world affair, if you do your if the world affair, if you do your if you do your degree, get a good job, and then mm-hmm. you can rise through the ranks financially. But that wasn't really happening, and that's why you'll find a lot of working classes moving in the eighties. But it's layers to it. It's not as simple as just one group or one specific type of group moving into the UK at a certain point. It's layers to it. Well, and I think you touched on something then when we look at the continent, because if you've had this small subset that has been educated, right, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the the aughts, right? Mm -hmm. And then they somehow, because I I look at Cameroon, they now come into leadership positions because they've been vetted. (laughs) I mean... This is it. It's not a conspiracy. I mean, if we're... uh, No, because, I mean, let's be honest, like, when we we look at Cameroon... Uh Like the dude who's president, who's been my, okay. Look, yeah. first of all, he has been president since eighty two. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's literally a, he was prepared, but but he was educated in France, <laughs> right? And so, and he was educated. Remember, the man's old because he's in his late eighties, nineties, right? So he was educated like what pre. The end of colonialism. Right, pre-independence, right. Exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. And then, and, and then you're right. There's still norms that are reinforced <laughs> about, oh, well, France is this amazing place, you know, if you're from French West Africa, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. all these things mm-hmm. that we like that are European mm-hmm. or French or mm-hmm, Belgian. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's like this never ending cycle, mm-hmm. right? And even... And we'll we'll talk about this in the in a moment. But even when we look at social media and we see what a lot of these people say and some of the norms they're reinforcing, I just keep going, man, right. you you have magically right. absorbed the same principles that have managed to keep your communities oh. from moving forward. And just because you look like them does not mean you two cannot be an oppressor. This is but that's- it. <laughs> this is it, and, and yeah. yeah, this is this is, and this is where we've got to be careful. I'm always cautious of, you know, how are we influencing each other and engaging because it. So if we go back to the conversation we're having about Brexit, right? The reason it, it yeah. works so well is because they convince the masses. The majority of the people in this, in this country. They, they, they just want a, a very standard life, right? A, a safe yeah, home, of course. a job, of course. food to eat. As long as everything's running and it tends to, electricity, water, everything runs. There should be, logically, there should be no reason why they should be fearful of any extent. Right? Of course. Do you know what I mean? They, they should actually yeah. see any foreign... 
um, additions to their population as an advantage. But unfortunately, because you, you, when they package propaganda in that way, instead of them to look at the leaders and look at the people of power and say, actually, it's the elites and the government who are doing me who are doing me wrong, they're going to blame the black and brown people or the people who don't speak their language on all you know on all the problems that they have. So, I think. Yeah, I think, th- and this is a similarity I find w- with our nations of origin as well, because if we really look at the statistical reference points in terms of, you know, some of our countries that we, we do, there's this really, there's this thing I, I, I'm really annoyed about. It's kind of like the Africa that don't show you society. I, I make a joke about it. Uh. Because look, we, we know there are mansions in, Af- in African countries. Right. We know, right. who, like, we know all of this stuff that there's roads and there's, we know, like, it's not, that's not, who are we even telling that to? But, like, right. Right. really care because they bypass that to go and take selfies in villages anyway. Like, if they, right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, who are you telling that to? And then you kind of get there and it's like, okay, so, if you're if you're saying all of this, look at the vast majority of the population, majority of the population of your country, the, the statistics are scary when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education, when it comes to wealth inequality, when it comes to housing. Like we saw recently, last year, the end of 2020, the NSARS um, protests, um, you know, it unmasked mm-hmm. the things we, all, we, we, we already know, but I think it, it drew a lot of attention to the fact that Nigeria is, 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 is not a country that we should be putting on any kind of a pedestal. If that makes sense, like yeah. <laughs> we can call ourselves right. a guy in no, Africa, I- but really, <laughs> man, I saw a qu- and I and, it, and girl, I know you Nigeria, but I saw a quote and I I laughed Uh-oh. for like five Uh-oh. minutes, and then I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, and, and and no, I mean it throws shade over here too, so it's whatever. I, I something was going on, and it was a bunch of different Africans in the thread, and basically someone said, you know. Nigeria is kind of like the Americans of Africa. And I saw that oh, and I was like, no. <laughs> oh. see, because <laughs> you know the implication. I was like, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, are they wrong? <laughs> this is the no. thing. You know what? You know what the, the problem with this is like, I want to defend, and I should really defend. Like, look at that. You're like, yeah, you should defend the integrity. The integrity. But then I feel like every so often, and like Nigerian will come and like embarrassed. So like, there's a there's, there's always, like a clip. There is a clip of some Nigerian Trump supporters in Nigeria. And 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 he retweeted it, and I said, you know Just, what? How am I going to defend the country that's not defending itself? Like, why am I going? To- <laughs> why am I expending the energy? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When people are working so hard to be contrary. Right. No, I saw that, and I said, "This is hella funny." And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not because it's no, but I'm also American, so it, it was not like it made me out yeah, any but- better. <laughs> I mean, I completely, because I got it. I went, this is very accurate. (laughs) All right. So if you, if when we come back, we're going to get into kind of your experience as a first gen Brit. And and, and we're going to really talk about, especially comparisons. I'm on the other side of the pond, Mm. as well as more about your communication work. So after the break. If you're listening to the Global Chatter, there's a good chance you like stories about expat life, identity, and more. 
which is why I'm going to recommend you check out Flourish in the Foreign by Christine Job. Her podcast elevates and affirms the stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, and it explores expat living as a pathway to wellness. Flourish in the Foreign is available wherever you get your podcast. All right, and we're 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 back on this conversation, and so I kind of want to pick up, um, really talking about. I think some of our shared experiences as, as being first gen, uh, you know, I, I love talking about what I see. In, and in my case, I, I did grow up both in the U.S. and Cameroon. I know that you have been in Nigeria, uh, not Nigeria, you've been in the U.K., but obviously very heavily influenced. And so I'm just curious, just from the stuff that you see, what do you see, think are the differences for, for folks who are like you, who maybe have been born in the U.K. or came to the U.K. or Europe very young, and, and the influences that you have from the kind of your countries of, or at least ethnic origin compared to maybe what you see with some of us who are American, like, what do you think of the differences? Oh, that's a great question, actually. Um, and I'm also, also ca- I'm really careful with that because I'm, my, my experience is going to be different from other people's experiences. Um, I think it also depends on how often you get a chance to go back to your country of origin. We used to go, that was our one holiday that we could afford. So every three or four years, we used to save. My my parents, I'd say, would save. And in the summer holidays, so about six weeks, we would be in Lagos, right? So I was, I, I knew this is it. We we had our culture and our, our culture and our cultural identity tied to us both at home as much as possible mm-hmm. where we lived, but also when we could go back for our holiday, so to speak, we'd go. Um, so compared to America, though, this is interesting. I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's more of a sense of I mm-hmm. see, I feel like I see and I can find opportunities to identify with being Nigerian. Mm-hmm. In maybe, maybe it's because I'm in London. So in London. So there are markets, there are restaurants. You know, they might have people complain sometimes. They're not the best mm, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's very easy to identify where you can go to, to link, to touch a part of your identity. Does that make sense? In London, right? So even in the UK, as you know, there's different cities in the UK. So in Manchester and Liverpool, there are places you can go to still find your community. And I feel like, and you, you, might, you might have it in, in, in America. I think we also have a tradition here. We had um, not so much anymore, even pre-pandemic, but we had growing up in the 80s and the 90s, something called hall parties. And you might have that in the States where you'd have, you know, whatever the excuse, a birthday, a naming ceremony, wedding reception, you'd have giant, like people would just hire out a sports hall. They weren't, you know, they weren't um, luxurious settings. There was sports hall, a community center, and you'd have all night, all night parties, like just all night parties with members of your diaspora community. And you just, just, you know, coolers of rice and food Mm -hmm. and music. So there was always, there was a regularity of meeting and celebration that we had that will keep us linked to our cultural identity. Um, so I feel like mm-hmm. there is a sense of knowingness and, and belonging. Mm-hmm. And because as well, I do think the geographical, um, even though it's still expensive, the fact that we're not as far I think that's a really home, so to speak, good point because I've always thought that those of you who are in Europe, I don't know, what's or in the UK at least, right? Yeah. You, 
it's a shorter flight. I think that in the U.S., and I think this is for a lot of immigrant groups, to be honest, we're so far, <laughs> like we're so far. And, and I think the other thing that when, I, when you talk about communities is that the country's so big, right? Because that's the other part that I think mm-hmm. is a very different mm-hmm. experience if you, are, if you are African or you're Caribbean in the U.S. maybe compared mm-hmm. to some of our European counterparts is that you guys have smaller countries on that side of the world. Whereas, as you know, and you've been here, like mm-hmm. you, could, you could probably make like a solid six countries if you wanted to out of the U.S. Just, just when you look at regional and differences. And so our, yeah. I think our challenge has been the pockets of where you get Africans, right? And so I know for me, mm-hmm. I know for me, well, you know, I was born in D.C. Mm-hmm. and DMV area, right? D.C., Maryland, Virginia. First of all, ton of Africa, like everybody know. <laughs> like, especially in the mm-hmm. 70s and the 80s, a lot of Africans. Houston, Texas, a lot of Africans. I know there's a very big Nigerian population there, right? Whereas... um there are Nigerians in the DMV area, but then there's also Ethiopians yes. and Cameroonians and Ghanaians. Yes. You get into the middle of the country where you get into like a Minnesota, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get a lot of East Africans. So Somalis, Eritreans, uh, Ethiopians. And then I know there's something happening out in California. I'm not sure who's there. I know Nigerians are there, but I don't know who else is there. Cause I'm, I'm an East coast girl. So I'm like, somebody's out there. And then Chicago, right? Those are the areas. I mean, everywhere else is like, Somebody got into a school. <laughs> so I hate to say that. <laughs> somebody got into a school. You know what I mean? Somebody got into a university that, which is ironic, a university maybe I've never heard of, which is insane because I work in <laughs> education, but they got into a school, got them a visa, yeah, 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 and now yeah. they all live in Wyoming. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. what it is. So, so, so it is. But it's true. You know, you. Yeah, but sure. When you when you get when you get the continent and somebody's school is gonna take you, you aren't looking at ranking unless you are once again the elite, 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 elite or like Harvard, 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 right? But that's accurate. You're yeah, just yeah. looking to see who will take you <laughs> so that you can get here. And so I think that I think that's a little bit different, and and I think the ability to mm-hmm. go back because I mm-hmm. I know one of the challenges I've heard, especially for kids who are mm-hmm. bicultural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wow. I've met a number of folks who maybe one parent is Nigerian, but one parent is African-American, for example, who've never been like they just haven't they haven't been for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that they didn't want to go. It's just it's expensive. And there are probably other reasons. And, and the, the ties are a little bit different, although there's still an interest in the culture, right, because they have the name and they have they, they have all of that. Mm-hmm. And so um, especially as we're, we're talking about identity um, overall, as you know, and I've asked this question of many people, 2020 was just a tinderbox, especially when we look at um, police brutality and, 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 and the things that were happening following the George Floyd murder. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and, and you've already mentioned it, um, SARS as far as Nigeria is concerned, what, what is... What is the challenges I think for for Black folks who are living in the UK? Are those still are those still systems still are those problems there as they may be compared to, for example, in the United States, or does it look different? Yes, it's very much very much here. And the older I get, and this is where I guess being planted in this country, I say I'm planted here, born here, but it, it's 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 there's this, this misconception that. 
the UK is, or well, England specifically, because the UK is the is the umbrella. So England is right. the country that um, I, I I'm in. Um, that, that, that it's a, it's a calmer, uh, less obvious kind of uh, on the nose racism. If that makes sense. And mm. you know, to be clear, the thing I, I, we need to kind of just just address is this way of measuring racism. As if all racism isn't Awful. <laughs> just right. because one is loud, one is quiet. What, is that, what does that even mean? Because fundamentally, they all marginalise and disenfranchise us. And racism is racist, whether it's whether it's whether it's a silent kind of um, structural one that you might not see, obvious one you see, or the violent one that you see. For me, uh. they have this, it, the end game is the same to keep us down. You know, for one uh. better way of saying it. To keep us down, and specifically anti-black racism, right? There's different forms of racism, but when we talk about anti-blackness, this mm-hmm. is what you, you know. This country is is this is they, I want to say they created it, but they are part of the creating driving force, right? Everything we're seeing mm-hmm. in the world was because of the colonial and imperialism. It's by design, right? Mm-hmm. Even the creation of what it is to be white and black, right? The creation of white mm-hmm. supremacy. This is it was all created to kind of maintain. This um, superior, their view of superiority and supremacy. So, in this country, there is a long history of marginalization. In this country, the fact that we have a royalist um, center is core. So, because we have this royal elite um, kind of system, you know, this Mm -hmm. kind of this way of being that is this properness, this this way of uh, uh, this, this English sensibility, right? This this mm-hmm. thing, this thing that that whatever you however you want to call it has has it, it can often silence, and it does that that silence in itself is a form of violence because of mental mental violence, right? Because there's so mm-hmm. many issues that go on even to this day. There's so many vast inequalities um, that you know people within. Specifically, so we're speaking about black communities, African and Caribbean communities faced with, but because of the silencing and there's the driving force of this this proper, you know, this, this old stiff upper lip, and you know, we mm-hmm. are we, are, you know, this this notion that for some that somehow England is a and I hate it's tolerant country. There's this word tolerance. They tolerate. They, Amanda, they tolerate us. Imagine something. Right. Imagine someone telling you, "Oh, we are yeah. tolerant." That means yeah. that they actually don't want us here, but they tolerate yeah. us because, you know, it's just to make sure, you know, to have peace. So it's very, you know, for me, you know, there is this um, constant emotional, mental, almost trauma that I don't think genuinely we speak about enough. I think there are, there are, there are people who speak about it. But I don't think mm-hmm. it because you you don't have the space and the room in this country to speak about it. So the one mm. thing I will give the US credit for, and I always give credit where it's due, is in, in, in the US you have space to speak on issues mm. in a way that I don't see enough of here. Even here, his you know, his conversations about history, about you know, black figureheads and black leaders in Britain. We're still mm-hmm. having a com- basic conversation. We're still having that conversation. It's like, come on, like, this is mm-hmm. not, this should not be difficult. But why are we still having to campaign to teach children in schools a 
about influential black figureheads from Britain. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But so mm-hmm. I, I personally think that for all the flaws and the fundamental flaws and issues that, 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 that you have in the US, there is still room and space to speak and speak up and be vocal, even though you're faced with that same structural and institutional racism. You, there's mm. space here. I, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing of, and there's this thing as well, Amanda, of this, um, I call it this gratitude, gratitude. They want us to be grateful here. They want mm. this, we're supposed to be grateful for even being born here. And so we're awarded and rewarded whenever we toe the line and we don't, we don't stir things up. But as soon mm. as you become too vocal and you stir things up, that's when they start to cut things and, you know, cut you off. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with Kevin Donat, who is with Le Paris Noir. So he is, was born in Martinique. He lives in Paris, black man, runs black history tours in, in France. Did an interview with him last year. And, and I, and I'm struck by something you said, which kind of reminds me of the conversation I had with him in the sense that, I mean, he almost said some of the similar thing about France, mm. that there was there are challenges. I mean, part of the reason why he has a whole business is because he's elevating and amplifying black voices who've been part of the history of France. Right. Mm. And and not just, um, quote, unquote, black French, but also black people who came from the U.S., black people who came from Africa, black people who came from the Caribbean. Right. And as you're both, you know, as you were speaking and as he was talking, I, I it, to me, I wonder if maybe, and 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 we know that the U.S. has had a long convoluted history <laughs> with race, but maybe part of it is because that that I think might be even a bigger challenge with Europeans is that, and I could be absolutely wrong, but I wonder if it's because the U.S. from day one was never homogenous. Mm. In 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 theory, right? It was never. It was never because you know this. The history of our country is so much younger compared to a UK, a France, an Italy, a Turkey, whatever, right? To a lot to honestly most of the world. And so I wonder if it's a little bit easier for us to just keep on keeping on because we're not because the idea of and I'm sure you've run into this. When somebody thinks of someone who's Brit, because we talked about this about France, mm-hmm. or you think about somebody who's French, mm-hmm. white person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if they're French, I mean, Kevin said it, mm-hmm. but, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's that hat they call it? They, the hat. The, Beret. Yeah, <laughs> I should know this. Is I speak French. I'm like, I actually know French. <laughs> you know, Beret, you know, they got the baguette of, like, there's a certain look, right? When we think about somebody who's British. Mm. Do we do we immediately think of? I mean, there might be some people who think Idris because you know, but like, do we do we immediately think of someone who's black or brown? No. Wow. Mm. I mean, even even in the U.S. and I have traveled and had people shocked. I was shocked. I was American. However, they can still conjure up a. There's still plenty of black people who've traveled and said they've been mistaken for a Beyonce, a Serena Williams. <laughs> some basketball yeah. player, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit, even though people may still think this is a white country, they, they, they could still find mm-hmm. a, a, a famous black person. Absolutely. And so I'm wondering if that's a challenge with the, with the UK as well, that you have hundreds upon hundreds of years of history mm-hmm. 
to kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> to change a narrative, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. so codified. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you, you you just there's there's and you know if you look at the creation of the USA, it was created based on again goes back. It's everything goes back to colonialism, right? right. So the Native Americans had their right. way of doing right. things on right. that land. That's, that's, right. that's not the the people who are fighting. Uh, you know, the, the Trumps and all of his cohorts were fighting. That's not his land. Like, it's right. not your country, but okay, right. you created this country. You you freed yourself, quote unquote, from the British. So you got your independence from the British. Then you, but you were continuing to to enslave um, uh, mm-hmm. others, you know, mm-hmm. others being, and who, who you would call others, even though, and like, I use that word intentionally because that's how they would always stay, even though you, you, you're seen. I still believe that to some degree there's an othering of black mm-hmm. people in the US, regardless, right? It's an othering. Mm-hmm. So there's always that. So in the but in the UK, you're right, there's this thing of we we and this is why I love the question you asked me, how do I identify, right? And why I always still say I'm British Nigerian, Nigerian British, whichever order. I always say I always add Nigerian there because and I haven't got a problem with that because you find that even when I say, look, in, on a on a day, if I if I want if I want to be facetious, even though it's not being facetious, mm-hmm. and someone asks me where are you from, right, you always get that question, always mm-hmm. get that question, and uh, they always ask that question, and it's like, well, I was born in Hackney, East London, I'm British, and mm-hmm. no, 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 where are you really from? And 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 you know they know nothing about my life and my history. All mm-hmm. they see is this, my skin. Right, mm-hmm. so all they have got the same. I my sound the exact same. Like all my <laughs> when I was speaking to relatives in Nigeria or my friends in Nigeria, my friends, even my friends here who were raised in Nigeria, you know, will say my I sound more British than British person. That's not necessarily something to be proud of. Like I'm like mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because I was raised here. That doesn't make cause, but mm-hmm. I to 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 be British is like you said. Like there's always a link of what they think of to be British looks like and sounds like and appear the appearance of so you'll always be fighting I feel like and to be honest with you Amanda I'm not interested in assimilation I'm really not interested in trying to like I was born here I don't have anything to prove so I know my generation and subsequent generations wanted to assimilate right Mm -hmm. because it was safety and it's Mm -hmm. for their own safety Mm -hmm. and I I understand that because the way Mm -hmm. racism operates Mm -hmm. in this world you, it makes you think that, okay, you have to do your best, camouflage, blend in, uh, be almost like a chameleon, right? We know now, well, I hope we know now, but that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I've never I've never tried to do that. And I don't think it's it's worth the mental gymnastics of trying to assimilate. But that can cause the problems that I was speaking about earlier. That can cause that, the almost feeling like you're suffocating mm-hmm. because... Even when you use you use you use a name earlier, you, you mentioned the name earlier, Idris. Even when you rise, like even when you do something glorious, mm-hmm. there's only so far you can go, mm-hmm. you can get to in this country before you have to leave. Someone like Idris, and this, I know there's a lot of conversation about you know Black Brits moving to the US, but if he, if he stayed here, his talent wouldn't be recognised. You can't, mm-hmm. you have to go. There's just not, there's not, not just, and you know what? It's not about landmass. It's not just about the size of the country. Because Britain, the UK is still an influential country. There's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity here. There is opportunity here, mm-hmm. but it's limited to who gets access to that opportunity. So I think you're right. I think there's a lot of that. There's that that perspective of okay, who gets to who gets to be British or be seen as European. 
Yeah. You know, there's that whole conversation though. No, I mean, I think to the point that even as black people, when we see black people from, for example, Europe, and we're just kind of shocked because they, I mean, they sound like whatever country they come from. And we're just like, but I didn't think about And I have to talk to that with people all the time. It's like, yeah, you didn't expect them to have that accent, did you? Right. What, what, what is an accent to you? Right? right. And I, and even what you say about assimilation, I mean, we, so I had this really creepy conversation with a friend of mine the other day. <laughs> we, your, your voice just kind of like, oh, I'm going to be Well, she said I was being creepy. I was just making a point. And I said, uh, I've talked with a number of people about code switching. Mm. And I had, a, I had a, an interview with someone and we both said, we know we've gotten quite far in certain places and spaces in our career because we sound the way we do. I sound like this. Mm. And he sounds the way he does. And I said to my friend, this is the creepy part. I'm like, but we were created this way. <laughs> you know this, wow. right? I mean, yes. I, I, said, I, I said, I know this sounds like a really weird horror movie, but I said, let's be honest. I said, I can, I can only speak about my life. I, yeah, I went to schools in the US until age 10. I was in international schools when I was in Cameroon. I have gone to predominantly white institutions mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. majority of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I've had access, whether through privilege or other ways. And, and in that process, you learn how to speak and how to communicate. Mm-hmm. And you are a communicator, so you know this. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are conversations like this that we are having mm-hmm. that I can have that people will listen to because we sound the way we do. Mm. We have assimilated to a certain degree because mm. <laughs> if we sounded maybe like our cousins mm. who didn't have all of this mm. or didn't have the training or the, the wherewithal, mm. would we be as far? Do you know what? Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's the, and it's sad though, right? And that's the, because, because even in our own communities and our, and our groups, even the conversation about accents, right? Because right. that's a little bit of a sensitive one for me because I don't like, I've got this, I've, I take issue when we, there's certain people in our diaspora groups, and I see sometimes, even in America, right, mm-hmm. where people kind of put on the accent of a parent or a cousin and just try and make a joke out of it. Like, they're from, so they could be Nigerian, right? And they'll be like putting on the accent of their Nigerian mm-hmm. mom. And it's, there's a line, right? There's a line yeah. of, are you doing that because you want to illustrate a point, which is fine? Yeah. Or are you doing that to slightly mock, but also highlight that you're you're different? Mm. That you now you've like you've already said, like you've assimilated better, better, quote unquote, into the system. And so yeah, when it when we come when we, when it comes to play in terms of access, how we sound, mm-hmm. and yeah, that isn't a because do you know what? It's, it's for me, it's taken, take, and, and, and I guess you're right, it worked. It was by design. It's a little bit like when I said earlier, there was my mother and father, those, though they spoke you about to us, mm-hmm. they never intentionally taught us. They didn't mm-hmm. do what you, they, they, they mix it with English. They didn't do what you, you really ought to do for children to, to teach them. To language. immerse them, yeah. No, I got to you. To immerse them. And then, but then I now recognize, and when we asked my mom, she was like, well, first of all, you're not going to speak Yoruba every, unless you're speaking to family. <laughs> so what's the advantage when you're trying to get jobs right. in this country? So she thought it was an adv- it was advantageous to make sure that we, spoke, we sounded as British 
as possible. That was her one. That was a thing. Even though she knows the game, it was like she had to play the game. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're right. You know, I never. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I have yeah simulated. You know, here I am saying I'm not as player enough. Girl, you like a whole product. Like that's that's the crazy part. You like, wait a minute. That's why it's like that horror movie where you like, wait a minute. I am I in Get Out? Like what happened? Oh, I became that person. But then it's like I was created to be that person. No, but it's no, but you touched on. This is the point I am passionate about. You touched on a very important point. Because I'm the same way. I do not speak the tribal languages. And what was different is that my parents were two different tribes, so they didn't speak it to each oh. other. But both of them spoke it to their family members. Neither one of them taught their languages to me. My parents are since divorced, and I am, it's my mother I'm close to. My sister speaks, but that's a whole different thing because she was with my grandmother. But like, uh-huh. but like, you have touched on such a powerful point. Like, these people have left their country to come to a place and part mm-hmm. of it is motivated by by the, the the descendants and the children and the offspring that they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they want to give you the best lot in life. What do they do? They look mm-hmm. around and see, okay, what is the most successful? And they also know the pain that's been inflicted on them mm-hmm. because they don't sound... Because someone made this yes. point the other day on social media, which is right. He said, you know, telling people they speak English with an accent. Everybody speaks English with an accent. <laughs> it's just is it an accent you're familiar with you know what i mean because i look i'm american passport holder to me do you have an english accent yes can i tell can i can i place where the english accent comes from maybe depending on who the person is but i have an accent to you but we both understand each other like so even that idea well they speak this language with an accent well hell yeah and and second of all not even celebrating the fact that for some folks, it wasn't even their mother tongue, but they can even communicate in a way you understand, right. but you could not even touch the languages yeah. that they speak. Or, yeah. it, you know, if it's a small subset of people in Africa or someone from, you know, yeah. Korean, which you may know as a national language yeah. or whatever it is. So it's just, yeah. it's funny to me, like <laughs> when people say these things and, mm-hmm. and I think even what you say, accents are powerful because I think, I think there is a line, right? I know that if I... If I talk about my mother, depending on what she says, I might use her accent only because my mother's really funny. Like, it's not, it's not like, I ain't gonna mock that woman because if she didn't get over here, I would have been here. So I ain't gonna mock, why why am I gonna mock the person that gave me papers? Like, (laughs) please, I'm not stupid. But like, (laughs) I'll be serious. If the woman hadn't left, yeah, I too would have the same accent. So let us not mock exactly. that. <laughs> let us not mock that hard. But Hello. but you're right. I I I do think the posterity that people have to be careful. And and I think especially stuff that I see on social media. And and so I think even with your observations, you did a year. Did you do a year in the U.S. when you went to school? Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm yes. so curious because you. First of all, you were in Richmond, where my family is, because <laughs> Virginia is my stomping ground. Like. So you oh. come from the UK. That's a, that's actually a really interesting spot to come. And I think you and I are around the same age. So I'm thinking about around the time you came. What was, I think as a black Brit, what was, what kind of stuck out to you even coming to the US at that age? So first of all, so I was, yeah, it was my second year in university. So I was 19. This was the year 2000. It was the year. Before 9-11? I was about to say it was the year. No, because I think I came back. <laughs> I came back. That year, so in September, yeah. 
I, I was back in the August. I feel like I was back in the August of, so that year of, 9-11 was... 2001. 2001, yeah. So I, I, I came back from the US in 2001, so it was just a year. Um, so I was about 19, I must have turned 20 there. Um, the biggest thing, so the biggest thing is, first of all, I had been bamboozled by the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody else, apparently. <laughs> I had this dream and I was so committed and you know growing up on a council estate in Hackney all I wanted to do because we grew up with um, obviously American influence yeah. and Nigerian influence yeah. so I grew up with Nigerian music yeah. specifically Yoruba films like Nollywood yeah. and yeah bits and pieces of British stuff obviously because yeah. it, but <laughs> in, in terms of um, seeing myself like I saw myself Nigerian content. I heard myself with Nigerian music. Mm. And then I saw myself in American content. Eddie Murphy films. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like Whitney Houston music. Like I just, everything that was, so it was Nigeria, America. Right. Like Britain, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. <laughs> but then I was like, if I can't, especially if I can't make, you know, if I can make it anywhere. <laughs> and it was, at the, it was at the peak, you know, this was at the peak of like Oprah's yeah, time, yeah, right? Yeah. So I grew up, my mum loved every yeah. day switch on Oprah and to see, you know, see my mom just enjoy yeah. that hour of like 45 minutes of Oprah, to see a black woman on yep. TV. I thought, wow, and look at this black woman. Like she's got, she's got a country in her hands. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. This is all, you know, this was at the peak of her celebrity. So I was thinking anything is possible. Like I was like, America is a place to be, I have to, I have to study in that country. Now my parents couldn't afford to send me um, there to study full time, mm-hmm. but for a year I found a good degree an excellent degree, I should say, um, in Lancaster that would give me the opportunity to study for a year. Richmond, I tell you one thing. Initially, I wanted to study, like, I think it was in Miami or of Florida. Course. And I saw the, the brochure for Richmond. Richmond campus. It's gorgeous. Ooh. It is gorgeous. What? No, it is gorgeous. <laughs> like, many of y'all probably haven't been to U of R's campus. It is no, honestly, I was I was swept away. No, it is gorgeous. By the beauty, because I was like, okay, if I'm gonna. Do, you see, I should have taken some time though to really deep research because, like, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, I would have either stuck to Miami or I'd have gone somewhere like I don't know New of York, course. or I would have probably gone, you know, a bit more. I would have been a little bit more in a metropolis, like a metropolis, bigger. Yeah, no, I got you. City. Yeah. Um. So the biggest difference because Richmond University of Richmond is a private mm-hmm. university. So I had never seen this much money. Like I was seeing people drive these big old cars on campus. It was very, it's a small university, but predominantly white. All my, the majority of my black friends were international. Mm -hmm. I did make some African-American friends, uh, black American friends, but the majority Mm -hmm. were the international students, which was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal experience though. Like it was hard because I think I should have, yeah, like I said, I should have done more research in terms of the, region and the area but you know it was a great location yeah. we used to go partying in uh, dc yeah. um but it was hard and one of the things i learned i learned very quickly was i was there thinking that people would obviously know there's, there's black people in <laughs> obviously i got there <laughs> and i was like people were asking me the most basic question and then i think quickly my idea, my idea of the American dream, like just was washing my eyes. Like I was like, hang on a minute. I was really thinking these people would be a lot 
like sharper. <laughs> what is this? Like, why? Why are you asking me if I've if I've ever met the queen? Like, if I've ever eaten with the queen? Have I been to number ten? I mean, obviously you can go to number ten boundary, but I was like, there were some questions that they were asking me that was like, huh? And they've never, like, they've never ever met a black Brit, right? Like, yeah, I think there's one person or one or two people who either travelled or had been bought who were from the who were originally Caribbean, mm-hmm. maybe grew, grew up in Britain and came. Like there were people who had some relatives or whatever, but majority of people had never met someone who spoke like me was from the from the UK. So it was mad. Well, and this is why I think it is so awesome that you are in communication because and and PR work. Because let's be honest, we just spent time talking about when someone thinks of who's British, what do they see? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. the same. I, I have the same conversation with Black Canadians. People are like, they're black people in Canada. I'm like, yes, they're black people ever. Like right. people are right. so surprised. I mean, we're talking about Western mm-hmm. countries, okay? We're not even talking about other parts of the world. People are shocked when they find out. And if you think about the time when you came, we didn't even, interest was not as big, like, had the wire come out? Cause like, like I feel like I'm trying to think. That's a good question. It just, it just wasn't like, for example. I don't think so. You know what either. I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 and there's so, I, the, I think now we have such an influx too of black British actors that people can start to identify but if, at that time, we're talking 20 years ago, nobody was, nobody was checking because nobody even knew. And nobody it. even knew. It. I mean, I, to me, I still think it's funny because if you have black people in the U.S., why wouldn't you? Like, yeah, and it, this is it. And also, and, and I love what you said because thinking about it, there's no, we really think about whether we, like the U, there's nobody a black Brit who's famous who's still in yes. Britain. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, like, can you if can you identify a black Brit, a famous black Brit who is still here doing well that you could just name? Who's not a footballer? Exactly. And, he, and you have to you have to know right. football, right? You have to be into football to know, but not everybody is. So it's a it's you've got to think about okay, we if you can identify a black Brit who is not necessarily in sports or football, like you rightly say. He just named them who's still here. Most of them, most black Brits just just go. I, I, I thought of one that I'm like, I don't think she's there. I think she in LA. Ta- Dandy Ooh. Newton. I mean, she's like, I know. Like, yeah, she's look, 50, you didn't, she's you didn't not, qualify. She, yeah. I just, she didn't qualify. Yeah, she, she, she's, she's half Brit. She's half Britain, half American. Like, in terms of half, oh, so yeah, literally. Not literally. <laughs> Sorry. No, <laughs> oh, no, I was like, no, is she, I think what parents Zimbabwe and, and. No, yeah, no. What I meant was, she's half, half in the of the US. US. Oh, the I was reason, like, I mean, yeah, she, it, she just qualified. <laughs> She is half an hour. But the reason, the reason that she, wow, yeah, careful with it. The reason that she, the reason that you know her, I think, though, really, is because she, she, she stars in Hollywood yeah, yeah. movies. Yeah. So she's yeah. really mainly because she's there. Mission so Impossible. She, yeah, I remember that. She, no, you're right. Well, you're right. Well, but she's half in the UK. And well, the, you, and I, I'm sure you saw this happen both in media and in on social and social media, traditional media and social media, where there has been this ongoing argument debate over black Brit British actors playing black American characters. Right. Mm -hmm. Particularly, Mm -hmm. particularly very specific. Like we saw it with Harriet 
we saw and, yes, and also the yeah. the fortunate and unfortunate comments that have been made, <laughs> that have been made mm. by people <laughs> and mm. and sometimes for me it's hard because i i see the sympathy on both sides right i yes, i definitely yeah, see it yeah. and and then you know people talk about access and i said okay while we're having this argument i would like to just put tip my hat to all y'all who have bad African accents. And because if I was South African, all of y'all have played Mandela. And um, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, honestly, um, honestly. Um, and Winnie, I'm sorry. Honestly. What's that light skinned dude from Hustle and Flow? What's his name? Terrence Howard. Played Karen Mandela Howard. at one point. Wow. Jennifer Hudson oh, played wow. Winnie at one point. <laughs> I Ex- I exactly. I Forrest Whitaker played yeah, Idi Amin yeah. at one point. Idi Amin? Yeah. Will Smith Hello. played that Nigerian doctor from Concussion. Oh, oh. Um, yeah. um <laughs> I just was like this. So if we if we go be having all this conversation, I would just like to put one in right. for the continent and say all right, y'all with your right. whack accents. <laughs> all, oh, no. all of y'all. Oh. oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. How many times has Morgan Freeman played Man, that? Morgan Freeman. Man. <laughs> Man. Oh my goodness. I'm, oh. I'm not saying people are right and wrong about how they feel and what people have said. All I'm saying is everybody need to check themselves when it comes to African yeah. leaders yeah, 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 and African yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I, of course. Even like, yeah, I'm trying to think. What's the other one? The Hotel Rwanda. Who played Don, Don Cheadle. Oh, the Man. Don Cheadle, right. There's so <laughs> I, many examples. There's so and, many examples. And, and part of it is, is the scarcity that the media has created Hollywood, right? Or just, so, it, so like, like there should be a space for the Black Brit and the Black American and whatever Black African that wants to play whatever. But this you, you make this it and it. then you go, well, we have to have a name attached to it. But I'm like, but... You could take someone who's not a name and make them a name if they've got the talent. And then you create exactly. this infighting within the diaspora where I'm sitting here going, right. I want it. all your stories to get told, but why well, we gotta exactly. be checking people left and right? Like, because, because yeah. there are not enough roles. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, so you, you have your own consulting firm, uh, for the folks who don't know, tell them what it is and what you do. Right, so my business is Ariatu Public Relations. It's a PR and communications consultancy based in London, but I've had international clients. Predominantly, my clients predominantly um, from the mm. African Caribbean diaspora, um, and that's by intention. They're in the creative enterprise field. I also have clients outside of that, but I have my clients. All, all I, my client, my clients have to intentionally want to speak to diverse mm. right so that's that's really what it is about or on a flip it's just about it's just about honoring black stories mm. like businesses um so yeah a lot of my clients creative enterprise um small business owners and entrepreneurs and it's been it's been a it's been a it's been a, a fantastically exciting journey it's been a challenging journey but um you know i'm doing well i think i'm i'm really i'm blessed actually I mean, I, I can always, I can always complain. You can always mm. find a reason to complain. We're yeah. human, right? <laughs> but 
<clears throat> but overall, I think I've done I've done really well. I mean, it's been hard because being a black woman in Hong Kong in this country is a big challenge. And I'm quite vocal, I'm visible, visible, intentionally visible, um, because I want to show other generations that you could do it, young young people that you could do it, um, and what's possible for them. It's, but it doesn't yeah. mean it's easy. And it's not, I don't, it's not even, I'm not trying to be a master as well, because there's been times where it's just like, right. I give up, right? Like, I think, again, yeah. you're human, right? We all have those moments where I'm human, you're human, we have those moments. So I feel like this is the, the, the path I'm supposed to be on. I think it's really, really important to have black representation in the industry. Um, I think in the US, it's really interesting because I, I was inspired by the US because I think in the US there's a lot more examples, visible representation of black PR and comms professionals. And, and you can see the impact. It's really important that people understand the impact of, of PR because it's not just about media relations mm-hmm. or, you know, the traditional perspective of what a publicist is, you know, what people think mm-hmm. PR is. It is about understanding language, communication, reputation, right? How to handle a crisis and all of these mm-hmm. things matter. And I I sometimes wonder if people just don't understand that. And especially in our, our communities, our diaspora communities, I think sometimes it's overlooked as a sector but yeah i've been i've been here you know and i think if people aren't already they should follow you on twitter because i think you besides the fact that you are funny but like i think you drop (laughs) you drop some really good like you say some things that i go back and i think about go man i haven't even thought about that from a communication standpoint especially especially when people do something whack so like this summer obviously george floyd happened and you know there was this whole blackout movement And mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just mm-hmm. curious as your thoughts as somebody who's in communication. Mm-hmm. You're like, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that look, look how the world changed, man. They're like, wow. What? I'm just curious <laughs> what you thought about messaging and in terms of the, the follow up. <laughs> oh gosh, wow! You see, the issue <laughs> right? Is. The issue currently is because it didn't stop. <laughs> The problem is people love people are very reactive and they want to show that they're doing things instead of fixing <laughs> the thing things yeah. from the core. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. Right. Fix the thing. You know, this the optics of posting a black square or whatever it is that people chose to do, you know, it it it, it, it was mm. it's a gesture. And you cannot solve structural problems, serious, deep rooted problems mm-hmm. with gestures. There has to be tangible change and the messaging you know there's a lot of messaging around you know we see our black employees we're <laughs> gonna do better well do you know do you treat your black employees well have you spoken to your black employees have you given them the opportunity to share their experiences in an authentic place so what was interesting was some some company mm-hmm. issue a statement around that period and they get backlash which was i'm sorry hilarious <laughs> for two reasons one <laughs> first of all when you say we see you I mean, you saw me before. I'm dark skinned, so I don't understand what that means. Secondly, I mean, even you light skinned, you still saw the person. But second of all, I'm sorry, the backlash for some of these companies was kind of hilarious. Like if you were on Twitter, where people are like, oh, is that how you feel? Let me tell you from the years of 2008 to 2015. I'm like, okay, so people are, at first you're like, okay, so people are angry. But then you're like, you know what? 82 employees in, 
I think y'all may want to just go ahead and just do the thing because you are getting so dragged right now. And I used to just call people say, y'all, you know who's getting dragged on Twitter right now? Yeah. Big oh my companies God. too. It was quite, you know, quite amusing. <laughs> right. <to be> honest. <laughs> the receipts were well, coming out. I was like, wow. And what was, what was, it, what was good was right. people got the courage. You know, usually some people are quiet, but suddenly people were like, you know what? I've been sitting right. on these receipts for years. Right. I'm going to talk about like When people are hashtagging <laughs> this you, and I said, oh man, when I saw that hashtag, I'm like, bruh, you better to get dragged yeah, though. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. somebody yeah, been sitting yeah, on this yeah. for like all their life right. <laughs> to just let the world know right. so then so okay right. as a pr person would you see that catastrophe happen what is the appropriate mm-hmm. response from a, a from a business standpoint like what should how do you handle that so for me i always say so i i, I gave this advice to some clients don't say we see you say mm. we see ourselves say we see the problem within we know that we've not done we've not done a good enough job. For example, you've got to say the thing and say what it is that you're going to do to yeah. improve that thing, right? You 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 have to, to speak about specifics and, and you know at that time it was specifically anti black racism. It wasn't you know, there are issues of discrimination and prejudice mm-hmm. against a lot of minority groups. It's not that that's not the that wasn't the that's not our speaking about black, you know, or you know, black lives mattering or anything else is not an erasure of any of the other kinds of prejudice, but you've got to be specific about one kind, this specific this specific type of prejudice, and I think, and racism. So I think you have to really just say what it is, mm. what you're going to do um, to address it, and how you're going to be held accountable. So every year, for example, mm. you're going to address, you know, look at look at what's going, look at your organisation, look at the inequality, the um, the pay mm-hmm. gap because there's there's a there's a pay gap, for example, between how much um, white employees are paid and black employees are paid. Um, employment, employability, education. If you're saying, for example, you can't find enough black talent, <laughs> you have to start at the beginning. You're going to, you know, start a scholarship at a university or something. Like, do something. If it's not a scholarship, identify talent in different areas, whatever it is. But you've got to say what it is you're going to do and you've got to stand by it. And also you have to allow space within your organization, safe space your organization for authentic mm. truth and voices to speak because we saw it even with and we're allowed to say this now so i'm going to mention a brand mm-hmm. um, google for example one of their mm-hmm. ai experts um was you know unceremoniously mm-hmm. fired recently because she identified specific issues with some of their policies and their internal systems and protocols now google's been saying oh yeah black lives matter and they'll do their mm-hmm. illustration and they'll say oh yes this is this, this but when it comes to the crux of it when it comes to actually respecting and honoring um a black leader and a voice a black woman in your organization you, you, you don't do what needs to be done you just kind of like just remove the rug from under her feet and let, you know what I mean? Feed her supposed to be to the wall. So I, and, and, and I always say the proof is always in the pudding and the proof is always in how these organizations show, they always show themselves, they always reveal the truth, right? Um, and so I think it's important as, a, as an organization, you're, you're honest and you, you have to allow black staff or whichever marginalized staff, but specifically in this conversation, black staff space to speak their truth authentically. Safe space. It's not enough safe space. I think that's actually powerful. And, and what you said could apply to a lot of arenas, just on not just in PR and, and comms and messaging. And so I'm really hoping that as folks listen to that, 
because there are a lot of questions that come in after that. How do we address certain issues? I think you just laid it, laid it out. Mm-hmm. And so before we, we wrap up, I like to do this thing where I ask these three rapid questions. You just got to say Ooh. what comes to your mind. <laughs> Ready? You don't need to think that hard about it. <laughs> just, you know, do you? <laughs> All right. So our, our, my first question, um, if you didn't live in London, where would you live? I mean, (laughs) okay, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Dakar. Why? Senegal. Oh, that's because it just came to the top of my head. And that's the first place I thought because I was there last, when before the pandemic, um, oh gosh, 2029 on holiday. Had one of the most amazing holidays. My mom's been to Senegal and she loves it. And I was talking to someone else. Dakar, like, I hear people who just love it. And I've heard the Senegal is just, at least Dakar, anyways, real chill. Oh my god! Do you know what? Because <laughs> I've been having oh. been to Lagos so many, many times, and you know, uh, you know, right. Lagos is Lagos. Like you can never, there is no city in the world like Lagos. Right. Lagos is just mad, right? Yeah, and I love it, but it's mad. There is the chaotic energy sometimes. Yeah. You just want to chill. The car was just. It had that nice balance of just. Oh, I just loved it. I loved it. I've, I've, I've heard good things. I've <laughs> so, heard good things about it. Uh-huh. It's a great city. It's great, great. Senegal's beautiful country. Beautiful country. I'm, I'm hoping so, yeah. well, post pandemic, whenever this gets straightened out, it'll be on my my list to go. <laughs> You've got to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. I mean, like every yeah. country has its problems or whatever, but honestly, like just from that time, and it wasn't like, you know, it was a week, <laughs> but I'm like, I want to go back. That's why I love it. <laughs> Second question. <laughs> okay. What do you think is the best part of your job? The best part of my job is getting access to a lot of information mm. that nobody else has. Like, I know a lot about behind the scenes stuff. Um, about, right. I'm not going to just say about right. my clients, but just, you know, you just knowing about the in- internal operations mm-hmm. of an organization is really, for me, fascinating. You know, and I, and I love, you know, I'm good at keeping it's not, it's not really secretive. Like, it's not, there's nothing that's really controversial right. about the things I know, but I do love knowing the ins and outs of how an organization operates. I think that's the best part. Being able to communicate that effectively is quite Third question. (laughs) This is funny. What makes plantains far more superior than any other carb out there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! It's the fact that it's just so versatile. Like you can eat, even though you can eat it by itself, it's sweet, or you can eat something that's a bit more robust and peppery and just, no, plantain is like, honestly, you right. boil it, grill it, fry it. Like, Ma- you know, okay. <laughs> so I was, I it's said this to some other folks who would get this. I was like, okay, so in my family, there is plantain fufu. Oh yeah, that's the one thing I don't think I've tried yet. <laughs> of all, all years of being a connoisseur of plantain, plantain, there's mm. plantain fufu, and which, by the way, it works with the usual things you would eat fufu with. Yeah, because so if, like if you're used to if you're used to pounded, because oh. I think either pounded yam or the cassava version. Well, what we call wakafufu, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think mm-hmm. the cassava version. But there's also the pounded yam version, which is very popular. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then yeah, of course, yeah. gari. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get your. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is this is like a some context for some folks who are listening in. Yeah. But whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. usually eat those foods with, you could substitute it with. 
So mm, okay. I, you can okay. find it. You I've can find it. it. But it's I will so say it takes, I don't know how much energy you use to like, cause I don't make pound it. My sister makes pounded yam all the time, but like, I don't know how much, if you actually yeah. make it, but like, there's a little bit more hand energy with the, with the planting, but it is good. It is good. My, you know, it's a, it's a, when we pound yam, pound right? Not that you know, I mean, right? you could go boil yeah. a yam and then pound, but <laughs> I think yeah, that one, this that is where we're the harder. we live in the West part comes in because we're not, yeah, we're not we have the powdered we have the powdered and you put it, yeah, and to be buying yams Man, and then pounding I saw it, a yam like, in the store the other day, and got a little too excited. I was like, is that yeah? I actually don't even like yams that much. <laughs> I boil, because when I was a kid, they used to make boiled yams all the time, like. Do you oh, really, I girl? Love yam. I love yam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yam. Plantain is far. But, is but this is what I wanted to tell you, and I don't know if you saw this. I saw a tweet, uh-huh. and maybe and I don't think it was from you. Maybe it was from you. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Somebody was making plantain ice cream. <laughs> like it could have been. Because I, I looked at it and I went, you know. This is possible. Like I actually, I said, if it's really sweet, yeah, it this, is. I could, I could totally see because when it's really sweet, a plantain and a banana. Ah, yeah, what is this? When it's sweet, it's sweet. It's really, yeah. Sometimes sickly sweet. So yeah, it could definitely possible. But I had a question about plantain. Is it sweet or is it is it still it's, quite it's savory? savory? It's savory. Like I, I don't know what stage okay, okay, they cool. <laughs> they pluck the but it's not don't think of it as being sweet think of it definitely in that like if it was pounded yam or oh yeah so that's why that's why i think it works with like the regular sauces that you eat it with or whatever dishes because it's not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm, of a sudden mm -hmm. something super sweet and then something that's not that would be really weird but it's yeah see if you can find it i am i'm convinced because you know there are enough nigerians and Ghanaians in the uk that somebody probably has it I, we, there's so many this is what I'm saying Just to ask. you earlier there's so many <laughs> shops that supply supply I, I think I've actually seen it in one of the yeah. uh, African uh, food and shops. try it so yeah I know my, my family I, I say this because I saw them over the Christmas and they they were like you want plantain for food I'm like first of all <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. you guys are very family, funny and I was like also yes please <laughs> so anyway Rocky thank you so much for all this oh, this wow. time like I thank you was so pumped about having you because I just knew that there were things that really needed same. no introduction <laughs> we could just launch into it same. and Aww. so I appreciate yeah. your candor and your perspective and your wisdom and I will make sure you. you know as always um to hype you up and you know for everybody else you definitely want to check out the links in the show notes and on the YouTube channel and Thank everywhere you. else because she just dropped some gems even just off of her blog and the work she's doing. And I think if you're doing any kind of business, it helps to understand messaging and communication. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank Thank you. Well done. It's brilliant. Well, for next time, thank you. thank you for listening to the Global Chatter. The Global Chatter with the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is produced by Justin Williams. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast or follow us on our YouTube channel at The Black Expat Presents. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.